Chapter 26 Humility, Divine and Human In the midst of our cares and worries, when trials and tribulations beset us, and especially in the painful times which the Church is traversing, our one great consolation is to be able to lean upon the only unshifting foundation, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other. By studying the psychology of our Lord, and in particular the character of unity of his person, we observed apparently dissimilar elements. It would have been easy enough to understand our Lord if he had only assumed a body and not a soul. Then one could have said that it was God who directly animated the body and who presented himself to the inhabitants of Palestine and to the apostles that it was God in a human body. But such is not the case. Our Lord had a human soul. In the mystery of Jesus, we meet the presence of God in a human soul. Did a division exist between this human soul and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is rather in ourselves that there can be division since we are creatures animated by a human person, thus entirely distinct from God. In our Lord, this distinction did not exist because the person who caused it to subsist was divine. There was in our Lord, therefore, a much deeper unity than there is between God and us. We cannot separate ourselves from God either, since he is our creator, since he it is who sustains us and moves us at every instant of our existence, but it is not God who is responsible for our actions. Between God and our acts is the human person whom God himself created and who is responsible for them. Whereas in our Lord, God himself became responsible for all of our Lord's actions. The union between the soul of our Lord and God is infinitely greater than that between our person and God himself. Another aspect that is interesting to study in our Lord in order to better understand his interior life is his humility. Among the evangelists, it is St. John who studied the most our Lord's psychology and who provides the words that shed light on the subject. In St. John's Gospel, there are passages that surprise us. If our Lord is God, how can he give the impression of humbling himself before his Father? We would be inclined to think that this humility proceeds from his humanity, from the lively sentiment of being a mere creature. His body was created. His soul was also created. It is in this sense that the person of our Lord, by considering himself in his human body and soul, humbled himself before God the Father. Or, can it be that the origin of this humility is to be found already in the life of the Blessed Trinity itself? Certainly, the word humility can scarcely be applied to the life within the Most Blessed Trinity. Nevertheless, if humility can be defined as nothing other than the truth, and if for us humility proceeds from the consciousness of having received all that we are and all that we have, in whom else can this consciousness be more vivid than in the Word who hears unceasingly, 
Ego odie genui te. Today I have begotten thee. Psalm 109.3 This today is eternity. Our Lord is continuously begotten of the Father. Our Lord, the Son, feels himself eternally indebted to his Father for his whole being, even though he too had no beginning and is equal to the Father. But the fact that he is the Son, hence begotten by his Father, causes in him the recognition that everything comes to him from his Father. This is true. This is not a forced humility. It is not an imprecise sentiment, and our Lord expresses it very explicitly, not only because he has a human soul and a human body, but because his very divine nature comes to him from his Father, as well as his mission and his divine knowledge. It would be unthinkable that the Son, who is God, would not render homage to his Father by recognizing his Sonship. This piety is something very beautiful, and it extends to the humanity of our Lord. It is so much the more normal that our Lord humble himself before the Father, as his human soul and body are evidently at a level infinitely inferior to the divine person. No one has spoken so well of the humility of the incarnate Son than Father Le Breton in his Les Origines du Dogme de la Trinité. Upon opening the Gospel, one cannot help but be struck by the expressions of humility so new to Judaism and so strong in all of those who approach Christ and who are led by His Spirit. But in contemplating Christ Himself, one perceives in him, vis-à-vis -vis his father, a dependence, and even an annihilation, of which nothing here below can give an idea. His doctrine is not his own, nor his works, nor his life. The father shows him what he must say and do, and, his eyes on this most sovereign and well-loved rule, Jesus speaks, acts, and dies. And this natural dependence of the Son of God is accompanied by an ineffable sweetness, as the Father gives all to the Son with ineffable love, so the Son places his happiness in receiving from and depending upon the Father. To me, this is a very beautiful sentiment, and which should make us reflect if our Lord expressed this sentiment of homage and recognition, of owing everything to his Father, how much more should we, who are so inferior to him, also remain with the constant sentiment of owing everything that we are and have to God? Also, if each of us has a person which God wanted to create, who is responsible for our acts, that does not mean that we have less of a duty of rendering to God homage for what we are. On the contrary, we must, by our understanding and our will, submit ourselves to God, as our Lord did, but in a way even humbler since our person is created, and in a way even humbler still, given our littleness and insignificance in relation to God and to our Lord. If our Lord could not do otherwise than will what God willed, he still had two distinct wills. 
Monophysitism and monothelitism are heresies. There are two wills in the Lord, one divine and one human. It is clear that between these two wills there could not be the least opposition. Such a thing is unimaginable, given that there is only one person. Thus, the human will of the Lord was always fully subject to the will of God. As our Lord did, and in the same way, we who have a human will must submit it to the divine will. Unfortunately, our will can, by a defect of our liberty, be separated from and even oppose God's will. That seems incredible, but that is, alas, the unfortunate reality. By meditating upon this attitude of our Lord vis-à-vis -vis his Father, we should try to find the model of our actions and activity. Herein lies what is most intimate in the Lord, and the more one penetrates the secret of this life, the better one understands the words of humble dependence which invite the disciples to rise to the source of life, of goodness, and of knowledge. God the Father this trait, so clearly depicted in St. John's Gospel, far from compromising the divine filiation, can be seen as an essential element. He must not hide it from our eyes, but, on the contrary, reveal it. The pertinent passages in St. John's Gospel can be divided into two groups, those that establish the dependence of the Son and those that show his unity with the Father. One might willingly conclude from them an incoherence between the dependence of the Lord and the divinity which makes him equal to God. It is well worthwhile to make the effort to enter with the evangelist into the deep current of Christianity in order to unite ourselves to Christ, to contemplate his life and enter into his thought. Then one can feel the unity of the truth. Later on, and especially after the 4th century, the theologians would show that the relations of origin and dependence are the only ones which serve to distinguish from one another the divine persons, whose nature is common. Consequently, this dependence of the Son in relation to the Father, which at first glance seems to threaten the unity and even the equality of the two persons, is, on the contrary, the thing that conserves it and enables us to conceive of it. A distinction is necessary, for if there were no distinction in God, there would be no Trinity. Because there are three persons, there have to be relationships of filiation for the Son and procession for the Holy Ghost, and thus relations of total dependence. The Son depends on the Father for his whole being, but he never began. He has always been eternally. God is eternal, and this engendering, to reiterate, takes place in an eternal odie. Hence, the Son is absolutely equal to the Father. <laughs>